Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Frank Spangler, and this is Worldviews, a podcast that seeks to find harmony between the philosophies and worldviews of religion and science. There once were two aboriginal tribes living in the remote jungles of the Amazon. For many years, they had been fighting and killing each other. When an anthropologist arrived in the region, he spent some time living with both tribes. He wanted to try and understand why there was so much animosity, so much violence. Was it because there was limited resources and the two people groups were fighting over food and hunting territory? After spending time learning the language, traditions, and belief systems, the problem was finally identified. The anthropologist discovered that all of the hatred, all of the fighting, all of the killing boiled down to a disagreement over the name of the god that lived in the trees above the villages. Each tribe considered the other to be less than human because of their perceived ignorance on the true name of the tree god. In our lesson today, we are going to discover why it is that humans develop these kinds of beliefs and attitudes and some of the things that we can do to prevent this in our own lives and community. Please join us. I remember the first time that I read this story of the two tribes in the Amazon in one of my anthropology textbooks. It rocked my world. A kind of switch went off in my head. It was like a paradigm shift. Suddenly, I had a greater understanding of the power of culture, worldview, and ethnocentrism and the extreme attitudes that it can create. Now, if some of those terms are new to you, don't worry. Uh, if you're new to this type of discussion, we'll take a little time and define some of these terms. Of all of the classes that I took at university, I believe that the ones that I enjoyed the most were the classes that I took on cultural anthropology and cross-cultural communication. I've always been curious about why people believe the things that they believe and why they do the things that they do and why most people are so resistant to change. These classes helped me understand people better, helped me understand myself better, and how I can be more flexible and accepting of others and the way that they choose to believe. Let's take a moment to learn some of the key terms. Many of our students uh, in another uh, YouTube channel are just now learning English, and I promised them that if they would come over and see some of these videos, that I would take the time to define some of the big terms as we went along. I'm hoping that as we do this, it will also make it easier for others whose first language may not be English, as well as 
maybe younger students who may be taking a look at some of these things for the first time. Let's take a look at the term anthropology itself for a moment. Anthropology simply refers to a field of scholarship where people study people. It is the study of humans. Not only humans that are living on our planet today, but also people who have lived in the past. The term comes from the Greek. Anthropos means humans, the study of humans. Anthropology not only studies people, but also their societies, their language, their culture, their belief systems, their religions, the things that they eat, the things that they make, the art that they produce, the music that they compose, how they survive. Basically, everything that you would ever want to know about a people group, anthropologists study that. The classes that I took at university on cultural anthropology focused in on people's culture. Let's take a look at that term for a moment. What do anthropologists mean when they talk about a people's culture? A people's culture refers to their way of life and includes their customs, their traditions, their belief systems, their art, music, folk tales, their dance, their dress, their language, their symbols and rituals. Every group has a common shared culture. The group itself could be seen as an ethnic group, a religious group, a social group, even a country. I live in Canada. I grew up being immersed in Canadian culture. Canadian TV, Canadian music, Canadian education, Canadian sports, Canadian way of thinking. When we talk about a group's culture, uh, some may make broad, sweeping generalizations about a group. For example, people say, in Canadian culture, People are polite. A common joke says that if you step on a Canadian's toes, the most likely thing that you will hear them say is, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that my toes were in your way. That is Canadian culture. But what about the term worldview? How is a person's worldview different than their culture. Worldview is one of those powerful, broad, sweeping terms. We've even decided to call our channel here at YouTube by that name because it covers such a wide spectrum of ideas that people have. Worldview refers more to the way that an individual or a general group understands the world around them, how we should interact with it and, uh, and live in it. It refers to our deep-seated beliefs on philosophy, politics, religion, cosmology, and how these beliefs influence our attitudes and actions in life. 
If I grew up in a culture that lives in fear and distrust of foreigners, my worldview towards refugees seeking asylum in my country is not likely to be very positive. If, however, I grew up in a culture that practiced compassion, mercy, acceptance, justice, assistance, hospitality, well, I might be one of those volunteers at the Welcome Center for the Refugees. If I grew up in a very strict religious group, I might have a very narrow worldview that sees only the rituals, beliefs, rules, and regulations of my religion. My religion might define the way I dress, what I read, where I go, what I do. If the group that I grew up in encouraged inquiry, investigation, discovery, experimentation, education, science, inclusion, and exploration, well, my worldview is likely to be more open, objective, accepting, understanding, appreciative, and respectful of the beliefs and cultures of others. Stop and think for a moment about your own worldview. How was it shaped? How does it affect the way that you view others? How you accept others? Let's take a moment to take a look at our third term, ethnocentrism. This is a little bigger word, but it is such an important one for everyone to understand. When I first grasped hold of this word and understood the implications of it, it changed my life and understanding. Dare I say that it changed my worldview. Our lead story about the two tribes in the Amazon jungle is a good example of the extremes of ethnocentrism. It is the strong almost unconscious conviction that the beliefs and cultural practices of your tribe, your ethnic group, are better than any other group. It leads many people to develop attitudes that look down on other ethnic groups as being subhuman, barbarians, heathens, animals. In the case of our aboriginal tribes in the Amazon, the ethnocentrism became so strong that it led people to start killing members of the other group. And before we start judging these people of the jungle as being barbarian, we need to understand that ethnocentrism is a universal human phenomenon. We are all in danger of falling under the influence of ethnocentrism. It seems to be deeply rooted in human nature. Until it is pointed out and understood, until people make a conscious effort to avoid attitudes of ethnocentrism, people can be driven to extreme measures 
to preserve what they believe to be a superior way of life. Some have even justified extreme actions as being part of a natural human evolution, the survival of the fittest. Everyone naturally believes that their group is the best, that their culture has come up with the best solution to the everyday problems of life. Everyone believes that their group has the best answers to life's biggest questions. And it's, it's not just large ethnic groups. It can be very localized. Most everyone wants to root for the home team. My home state is the best. My hometown is the best. My mom's cooking is the best. My religion is the best. My church denomination has the best set of doctrinal beliefs. We have the truth. We could talk about religiocentrism, and I believe in a future lesson we surely will. But it's not just religious groups. It is also prevalent in many groups of scholarship. Even the very educated can identify with certain schools of thought and look down on others who hold opposing views. Dare we mention political ideologies? The U.S. has probably never been more divided along political lines than it is right now. All it takes is a few minutes on some political forum on the Internet to recognize ethnocentrism in politics. And, lest anyone think that killing members of another group is only something that happened thousands of years ago or something that aboriginal tribes might do in a remote jungle locality, all we have to do is read a little history to be reminded of the millions of Jews and other ethnicities that were killed in the Holocaust in the 1940s. We can think of the genocide in Cambodia in the 1970s, the genocide in Rwanda in the 1990s, the ethnic violence in Bosnia in the 1990s, and all of the recent and current conflicts in places like Yemen, Syria, Myanmar, Ukraine, the DRC, Sudan, South Sudan. In my work for ADRA, I have spent a lot of time in most all of these countries, and it has been heartbreaking to see firsthand the violence and suffering that ethnocentrism is bringing to people. It is one thing to study about this phenomena in a university classroom, but a totally different matter to hear a young girl tell the story about her father and brothers who were murdered by the soldiers whose only motivation was hatred of their ethnic group. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter asked me how 
we got the current country borders of Europe. We went to a YouTube video uh, that shows a map animation of how the borders of Europe have changed from 400 BC to today. I'm going to put the link to this video in the description below, and I would encourage everyone to take the time to play this video. Share it with your children. Watch how the borders change so quickly over the years. And as you watch it, think in your mind how many young men died for every one of those border changes and the wars that they represent. While some of this could be attributed to land grabs, resource grabs, you can be sure that ethnocentrism played a big role in all of this. After all, if you believe that the tribe over the mountain are nothing but heathen dogs, and you have raised your children to believe that, it makes it a lot easier for them to kill without remorse. In the lead-up to the genocide in Rwanda, one side started calling the other side cockroaches. When they started passing out the machetes, the extreme ethnocentrism that had been built up somehow made mass hysteria turn into mass murder. The marauding gangs of men that went door to door weren't in their minds killing people. They were killing cockroaches. In just 100 days, over 800,000 people were slaughtered. Many, well, huddling inside churches. I have visited some of these churches in Rwanda. I have stood at the edge of mass graves in Cambodia and Bosnia. I have listened to too many tearful stories of loss. I apologize for bringing up some rather gruesome images, but I believe that it is important that everyone understand where ethnocentrism can lead if it is not held in check or totally abandoned in our lives. How can we do this? Here are some important steps. 1. Recognize that ethnocentrism exists and that it is a common universal trait of human nature. Recognize that you probably have some ethnocentrism in your own life. 2. Examine your own life and attitudes for how this human trait is affecting the way that you view others. 3. Recognize that all human life is of extreme value, that in reality no one group is better than another or is of more value than another. As the founders of the U.S. established, all people are created equal. If you are a Christian, remember that God says that he is not a respecter of persons, that as he looks down on us, everyone is equal in his sight. 4. Learn to respect people of other groups. 
other ethnicities. Appreciate them for the gifts that they can bring to the table of humanity. Their solutions to life's problems may be different than ours, but that does not mean that ours are in any way better than their solutions. Celebrate diversity. Enjoy all of the colors of the rainbow. Learn from other cultures. In fact, their solutions may actually be better than ours. Their way of cooking foods may bring wonderful flavors that you have never experienced before. 5. Call out racism wherever you see it. Let people know that you don't appreciate racist comments, racist jokes, racial slurs. You can help prevent the next genocide. 6. Do everything that you can to promote justice and equality for minority groups. Every country has them. Every community has them. People who have little voice. People who are exploited by the majority. You can be the one who rises above the primitive human trait of ethnocentrism. Uh, you could be the one who stands up against the oppression that so many minority groups face. Well, that is it for this lesson. I hope that uh, you found it helpful. If you did, uh, go ahead and like, share, and subscribe. So long for now, and go out and do something nice for someone today.